0: Browsers is such a huge topic. Um, From a data quality perspective, the obvious is um, all of the different rules that are now in play, and you have browsers kind of flexing their muscles at what you can and can't do.
1: Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others.
2: excited
1: yeah this is gonna be fun and one of the things eric and i were, were, were talking about when we uh when we caught up a bit two weeks ago was we were, we were joking around having almost like a, you know, start off the conversation like what are you drinking we were i was
2: trying to for, for my uh for my uh podcast i wanted to make sure that i had some sort of a uh, little shtick so i was asking jim and jim had Mm -hmm. Some ideas and he was saying what are you drinking is is a good one.
0: Have you have you noticed that my mug rotates every week?
2: I have. I have I have. I
0: wonder if people are gonna start catching on. I got apparently I have a large collection of uh mugs in the in the cupboard. So I'm gonna have to have its own my own dedicated coffee mug cupboard at uh, some point. By the way, Jen I think is super jealous. Because I mentioned to her, we were jumping on to record a podcast with Eric. She's like, oh,
2: he's so awesome. Tell him hi. I love Jen. The other day, uh, she posted something about a Charles issue she was having. And she's usually the one helping me. But I jumped in and said, it's probably going to be uh, some sort of a plug-in. And she's like, yep, you're right. It was a plug-in. VPNs will do it to you every time. And VPN plugins are really bad about that. I've given up on trying to use Charles. I, for some
0: reason, I can't make it work for me anymore. I used to have a setup where it was so good, and then something happened. And I'm like, no,
2: I just don't have the patience to figure yeah. it out. Phone with me. I'm a Charles Whisperer, man. Are, I can are you? Fix it. Yes, I can fix it.
0: <laughs> so, Charles, so Charles Whisperer, and what, what, what's the other topic? Data
2: Exorcist. Data
0: yeah,
1: Exorcist. I just,
2: I just had to put my title in uh, for what my title is, and I don't have one, so I, I chose Chief uh-huh. of Data Exorcist. The cde so i think that works
0: it does it does i think that works
1: so we we kind of just uh jumped into it so so this week i wanted to talk about um data quality and eric and i just met um so for the benefit of our listeners um I, i'll share a, few, a bit more details about eric in a minute but um no he and I just met, but I know Jason, you and Jen have known him for quite some time. And from what I understand, there's probably nobody else better to talk about when it comes to to talking uh, data quality. It's true. Yeah, Eric has a uh,
0: special skill set for for sure. and i I tweeted about it a bit. Eric and I caught up a, a few weeks ago and I've really been thinking about um, this space and the skills that that he brings and it, it it truly is like such a critical piece and we all understand it's critical but very very few of us have the skills to do it and, and honestly very few of us have i think the right word is patience is is key and the other part of it is just being critical of every component like if if you need something proofread looked over. Eric is going to find the bugs, find the issues. He hunts them down and it is such a critical skill set that very few people have. And if, even if people do have it, they don't enjoy doing it. He's the one person I know that just loves doing this. So I'm, when when the idea came up of having him on, I'm like, yes, we need to do this. It'll be a fun conversation.
2: It's funny you mention that because uh, people sometimes will say meaning it in a derogatory way. Oh, you're so ill retentive. Um, Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I tried. Thanks for uh, noticing. I'm glad you noticed that. No, it's it's
0: true, right? And especially in in data, and we we have companies. And Jim, I, I probably shouldn't go too far down the the hole here before you you tee it up, but you know, companies are spending so much money on data. It just it boggles my mind that we're we're not putting in the attention to making sure the the data is right and and being. So critical, and being able to look at it at that level is just so important.
1: Now, totally agree, and that—that's where we started off with. When you know, after you connected Eric and I, and after that initial conversation, I, I foresee this becoming a bit of a series, and we'll definitely loop Jen in for for subsequent episodes um, about it. But to your point, Jason, you know, companies are spending so much on data. But what we've all seen is the quality of that data collected is is often an afterthought. And no one really thinks about it until there's a problem. And at that point, it, it's it's too late. Um so that that's why we wanted to chat with with Eric today, based on you know the experience that 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 he's had. Like I said, like yeah, he definitely had me laugh when he brought up his title of, of data exorcist, you know. I absolutely love that, and I'm going to reference it at least three or four more times before uh, before we're done today. No, the, um, chief,
2: the chief data exorcist. Now,
1: the right? chief data exorcist. Okay, I will. I will correct my notes on that. Uh, <laughs> but, I
2: promoted myself to the C-suite.
1: and and Eric most recently was part of Keystone Solutions, where you know he was a director of data quality solutions. Uh, for, for the last six years. But before we dig into the topic, Eric, why, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself?
2: Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I've been in the analytics space uh, since 2011, as you mentioned, uh, breaking into it with uh, Keystone Solutions, working with uh, some of the largest enterprise clients out there. Um, I had uh, everything from e-commerce to fintech to content and um, to retail, apparel, I've done video games. I've I've really worked with some of the world's largest clients and uh, worked with some of the best people in the industry, had a lot of really good mentors along the way. Jason included, I I used to report to Jason for a minute there uh, back in the Keystone days. Um, So yeah, I've, uh, I've always been focused on data quality. I've always been Kind of the janitor, the cleanup guy that comes in at the end and uh, make sure that everything's uh, that that was going to be implemented was done correctly and without error, and uh, just uh, make sure that that uh, we do have a solid data integrity uh, foundation.
0: So the first question that comes to mind is you you mentioned that the types of companies you work with, and obviously, they, they had a vested interest in making sure their, their data was clean and correct. We, we, we tend to see companies, as, as Jim keyed it up, as thinking of it as an afterthought. W- what do you see the difference between companies that you're working with that say, you know we're spending a lot of money on implementation. This data is critical. We're handing it over to our analysts to make key business decisions. We wanna make sure it's as clean as possible. What's the difference between those companies from a, from their state of mind versus the companies are all, you won't. We'll throw it on the page. If it breaks, it breaks. We'll address it then, or they may not even think about it until something breaks, and then someone alerts them, and they've now, already made decisions. They publish faulty numbers, and it's an afterthought. What what's the major difference between those two types of companies that you see?
2: Well, I see a lot of times, uh, as you mentioned, you've got folks that will just throw it out there and see what happens. Um, sometimes, to my horror, I'll see that companies will actually plan break fixes. We'll go ahead and release the, the, the analytics updates and then come along a week or so after once the uh, reporting's starting to flow in and we'll clean up any issues that we've had. You know, as you guys know by then, the scars are already on the, on the data. Um, the time to make sure the data quality is good is before it goes in. Uh, if, you, if you wait till uh, it's been released, um, some folks who think maybe it's just a blip on the radar and then we'll fix it later, um, I, I always say those companies are kind of doing it wrong. Um, they they need to have a solid strategy ahead of time, and they don't play catch up. And that's what I see: companies who invest in the actual program management around data quality, where uh, it it's an integral piece of the overall. Um, resources. I hate that word resources. I know you you rail against it as well, but in terms of people uh, that you place a lot of importance on actually having a data person such as myself or someone who goes in and uh, is able to look at what the re- business requirements say, look at what's been implemented, look at uh, you know, what's on the page preferably in a lower-level environment or multiple lower-level environments, um, throwing some process around that where before it gets promoted into uh, into production, they've got a, uh, a seal. They'll seal off all of the, uh, the the development cycle stops. We get some quiet code in place, test the heck out of it, and then once it's as clean as it can possibly be or all of the bugs have been identified and triaged and fixed, however, however they want to do it or accept it as bugs that will will put off into the future. Um, you know, once that has been done, then you promote it into production and it doesn't stop there. Then you have to go back in and make sure that everything made it in correctly. And, um, I find that the companies that do it that way, that have a very lockstep, uh um, promotion of code, uh, tend to do it a whole lot better.
0: One of the things that I'm interested in learning from you on what you're seeing in these companies is around your specific skill set. And one of the reasons why I'm fascinated with what Eric does and why I think he's insanely valuable for any organization he works with is that um, we we rarely see, no, I'm going to say I've never seen a company's. Existing QA process work with what with what Martech needs, and what I mean by that is, traditionally we've seen Martech implementations go through in-house QA, and they do a fantastic job of running it through scripts, saying, "Is the is it there or not? Is the variable collected or not?" and and kind of giving that that high-level test. But what fails a hundred percent of the time is, okay, yes, it's there but is the data organized in such a way that aligns with our business goals? Is the, Are the data values there aligning with what our analyst is expecting? And the reason why this is so important, especially in MarTech, is companies are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in licensing fees for these enterprise solutions with the promise that a lot of the heavy lifting that an analyst would do is taken out of their hands. All of the data munging and cleaning is done for them. It's done either as part of the implementation or part of processing done by a a vendor. But if the data is not validated, then we lose that hope, we lose that promise. And I've never seen a QA organization be able to do that. It always takes someone like Eric that comes in and can not only look at it from, is it there or not, but go to the next level to say,
2: is it there? And is it organized and collected in such a way that aligns with what our analysts
0: expect to see? Um, have you seen something similar is, is, um, is that, is that view real? So my view is obviously very narrow. I only get to see a few companies here and there, but it seems like every time I see it, that the QA team is great, but it's not
2: ultimately giving us what I need. Right. Uh, great questions, great insights. Uh, you're absolutely correct. That's what I've seen as well. Um, what you need to do is get in there and do some consulting and have QA or me or whomever at that point will be, will be running things, um, speak directly to uh, the senior leadership and, and need to stress the fact that it is important to treat QA as its own separate practice. So you've got your implementation folks, you've got your developers and your analysts and your project managers and so on and so forth, and you have your QA Team or um, or practice in place. Um, once you get that buy-in, and once you uh, once you stress to the uh, to senior leadership that you've made a significant investment, as you mentioned, in the martech, in the the people, in the uh, all of the all of the things that go into collecting the data. You know why break down at the very tail end of it. And accept you know uh, whatever comes out, and then fix it, or even like I said before, planning that we'll fix it after it goes out. Um, that's just a huge failure um, in leaderships, uh, in the leadership there to to allow something like that to happen. In my opinion, and so speaking very passionately about what I like to do, which is, and I and I love I love cleaning up data. I love finding issues. I like picking things apart, you know, it's something that that you have to have to be in the role that I'm in. Um, But to look at business requirements in a very early stage, right? You can't come in at the very last minute and test test a bunch of things and say, oh, it looks fine. You know, that's, that's how it's traditionally been done. I didn't see any problems. You know, this is the implementation person or the development person. You know, I did all my unit testing, you know, I I see it in in dev and some things are showing up there. I see some props and and events or whatever, Um, or, you know, the codes on the page and I see the pixel firing. Um, It's a lot deeper than that. You need to have full context uh, for the QA person really needs to be there to ask why. Why are you collecting this? What is this prop for? How does it relate to the reporting? Because I'm, I'm looking at things from end to end. I'm looking at from the click all the way through the reporting, making sure that everything there is solid. There's no issues. Uh, again, I'm not just looking in one browser like a developer might do. I'm not just looking at at Chrome or Firefox. I'm looking at it in multiple browsers. Lots of times I'm looking at it on actual devices rather than... Uh, emulating and things like that so we can actually see at that point what the user sees and follow the trail all the way through uh, reporting Um, and that's really how it needs to be done to do it right Uh, of course you can employ a little bit of automation in there as well Um, that comes a little bit with the cost in terms of the actual software that you need and also in terms of time. So to automate something takes time. And in this day and age, something uh, I'm sure we also need to talk about is uh, Agile, right? So Agile, we've gone from quarterly releases or monthly releases to, you know, let's release it every Tuesday or every Wednesday. And when you get into that, you, you almost have to have your own separate practice with your own QA person that's doing nothing but asking why, sitting in meetings, gaining context, and being able to actively participate in the, the life cycle of analytics.
0: I'm debating if I should pull open a notebook because now I have like a million follow-up questions and I no, I'm not going to be able to keep them all straight in my head, but let me ask, let me ask the one that's kind of burning and I'll maybe remember the, the others that I, that I had. Um, I, I'm really glad that you brought up the point of being part of the project life cycle. It's, it's something, and, and honestly, I I didn't even think about it and I'm kind of ashamed to think of, to, to say that from a QA perspective, but it, it's something that I've been passionate about for a long time that this needs to be a joint team effort and we need to make sure everyone has context through the life of the project. And we see it a lot with companies that are saying we've made these huge investments. We're not getting any value. I go in there and I look at their processes and I see their new implementation gets spun up. And I'm like, where are the analysts? Why aren't the analysts in the room with your implementer to make sure that they're talking about what they need? You know, we get to the end of a project and we're like, why is, why is QA just getting the spec two days before we go to production? Like, this is, this is crazy, right? So being, being a joint team, and sure, there'll be different times throughout that life cycle where you do, do more or less heavy lifting, but we need to stop looking at it as these separate units that we just plug in at certain points in the life cycle they're all inter- integral parts of making this work and they need to be informed from the beginning and throughout of works. If we're going to expect this to work at the highest levels, I guess that's more of a statement than a question. Um, I totally agree with you. So to that point, um, one of my follow-up questions was what, what would you say to organizations? And you mentioned being able to set these expectations with leadership of investments that they need to make in people. If you follow me on on social, it's something I'm constantly hammering that we need to do more in investing in people. Right now, we're seeing quite the opposite. We're seeing teams shrink and shrink and shrink. And now we're gonna go to our leadership and say, oh, by the way, we need a dedicated data quality person. Not only data quality, but they need to know the business, they need to know the technology, they need to know it all, and they're gonna be expensive, but they're gonna more than pay for themselves. You know, how are you talking to organizations about, you know, why we need that? Because it's needed, but we now have this uphill fight where now we have less people, less money available, and we expect to do more.
2: Well, you could start with, you know, what's the cost of, uh, of bad data quality, right? There's a ton of uh, information out there. If you're making business decisions based on bad data, faulty data, um, then you're, you're, you're going to be sunk at some point. Um, it's, it's really a a matter of, you know, if you don't do it, it's just, it's going to bite you at some point. Um, it's a, it's a necessary thing. Uh, and, and, and investing in people, you don't have to always be the data guy, right? I've, I've rarely just been the data guy, maybe two or three times in the, Dozens and dozens of engagements that I've that I've participated in, you know, sometimes I do a little project management or engagement management or cement analysis. Um, it's important to be able to work in consultancies as someone that is able to to swap hats around a little bit now. I'm, I'm kind of talking my way out of being the data guy in, you know, being being hired as that data guy, but. I would contend that everyone should be a good project manager from the C-suite all the way down to, um, to, you know, the junior analyst, uh, it behooves you to be able to do project, have project management chops. Um, it keeps you on top of your game. It allows you to run your own practice. Like for me with, when I was running the, uh, the data quality practice, you know, I knew where, I needed to be at a particular time if i was working with other folks i knew where the milestones were um, if uh, we had deadlines uh, maybe things changed around i had to be there to say well you realize that if you move the date back a week you know you can't keep the code you know an extra week um, i'm going to need the two weeks that you've already uh, we've already slotted in to do the qa um, you know, where the quiet code hits, where we have uh, time to create use cases and test plans, which you mentioned, you know, you alluded to just a minute ago, uh, Jason, where you said um, QAs inserted at the last minute. You know, if you're not, if you're only coming in and looking at whatever you can find to before it goes out, you're doing it wrong there as well. There needs to be some sort of test plan there needs to be use cases in place Um, furthermore you need to make sure that you save your artifacts from those tests because if you don't have that and somebody comes along later and says why didn't you catch this you know if you're caught there with your pants down where you can't prove (laughs) that it was actually you know when i looked at it this is what it looked like these are the artifacts you know if you can't prove it it never happened yeah, no, I like that. Um,
0: so so with that in mind, and, and with the, the idea that we're, we're constantly being asked to do more with less, you mentioned software. Um, th- this is such a critical piece that I don't think this is something you can just fully automate with software. It's not something that I would feel comfortable turning over to like a mechanical Turk or just an offshore team and say, crank through this. But as an expert in the space, do you find that there are tools available to you that help make you efficient that you can use to automate pieces or provide efficiencies in your practice, um, looking at data quality?
2: Sure. I mean, you can employ simple selenium scripts um, to run through, um, say a sales funnel or something like that, where if you have to do something over and over, signups, registrations, things like that, assuming that you have already worked with uh, some front-end folks where they give you dummy data, uh, which is critical. If you have to actually sign up every time as yourself, obviously you won't be able to do that. Uh, So there are a few prerequisites around using uh, automation, any automation, it could be observe point or some similar tool like that data true for instance um, you need to be able to reliably uh, add those credentials go through and uh, and robotically um, go through some flow right uh, or you know, the scans, the scanning options that those two tools have and some other tools have as well are, are very valuable too, to look at the, the number of tags on pages and the presence of tags on pages. Those are things that if that's all you need to do, those tools are fantastic. That's what they should be used for. Now, what they shouldn't be used for is critical path testing prior to a a release going out, you want to make sure that you're looking at that in all your different browsers. You know, you're not relying on, you know, dropping it into an automation tool that only uses one browser that only looks for two or three different, you know, proxy bars and maybe an event. You want to look at everything. You want to look at everything holistically. You want to look for, uh, JavaScript errors, console errors, um, issues, uh, you know, within the, the, maybe the tag manager has, you know, some errors. There's all kinds of issues that you need, that you'll need to look through. And that's a lot of manual slogging around, um, within, within your tools. And, uh, yeah, I use everything from Charles to Fiddler. Um, use data Slayer. I use the observe point plugin. Google's got a few as well. Um, there's, you know, the observe point. Or I'm sorry, the uh, the uh, Adobe tool as well, the debugger, um, console itself, network tab. You know, however, however you need to use it, and you need to be fluent in all the different browsers as well. Um, we need to talk at some point about the browsers, the coming browser uh, issues that we're going to have in the next.
0: Yeah so 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 let me ask you one more question and then we can through there because I, I, well, I do want to have i do have a follow-up question on on technology and i'm interested to see if you see what i see and if so what your theory is on in the digital analytics space we we tend to um leverage tools specifically for our space so an observe point a hub scan or you mentioned each of the vendors tend to have their own debugging and testing solutions less or so on the more maybe what i would call traditional qa solutions or monitoring solutions like you mentioned Selenium, maybe a new relic or others in that space do you see something similar and do you have a theory on why we we tend not to adopt some of those more proven solutions that other parts of the organizations would use for their automation in qa
2: no and that's a fantastic question um i see ultimately us moving towards you know, chaining ourselves up to those other, the engineering teams, for instance, that are using automation frameworks um, to be able to hitch a ride with them, maybe slow their things down that they're doing because everything there is just super fast. They're only looking at functionality. They're looking that pages are firing. There's no errors on the pages. There's, you know, they look for console errors and issues and, you know, with timing and, uh, and things like that. But lots of times, as you know, with, uh, with tag management and, and MarTech in general, there's, you know, uh, synchronous, asynchronous loads, there's, uh, you know, we need to wait for DOM ready, you know, and, and engineering usually doesn't, doesn't care about any of that. So there are some challenges that we would need to kind of solve at that point, but I definitely see some sort of bolting on of a tool um to help with uh validation of pages um in a in a much larger way um, maybe even completely automated at some point where you've got uh you've got windows services or you've got uh uh you know some sort of proxy set up on your pc that's or a pixel that's being fired, that's being captured and, and interrogated by some database uh, with a rules engine that is looking at the actual, uh, what should be on the page versus what is being uh, being added to the page. Um, but still, I mean, even then you've got to go into your, your Adobe or your uh, Google Analytics and validate that the reporting's you know there. You need to make sure that you're not getting double beacons or missing beacons, or beacons are fired out of sequence, or you've got a um, you know you have got a, a, a track right instead of a page view. Um, you know, there's there's a track link. Uh, there's there's so many uh, items that you need to keep in focus as you're as you're testing that I don't really see. To your point, being able to leverage those larger teams uh, very easily. I think it's going to take a, a pretty concerted effort uh, by a pretty uh, good team or a good a good tool to to realize that.
0: Yeah, I love that insight. Okay, so let's let's pivot to browsers, and I'm I'm not sure where where you want to start or what you want to pick on, um, but but. Browsers are, is such a huge topic. Um, from a data quality perspective, the obvious is um, all of the different rules that are now in play and you have browsers kind of flexing their muscles at what you can and can't do. Um, but even down to the most simplistic thing, uh, especially in a lot of the things we do in optimization testing, uh, being able to QA across browsers is so critically important. It's, it's rarely done. And we go into lots of organizations, and the term we've come up with is spoiled tests, meaning we've run, we've spun up a test in Optimizely or Adobe Target or fill in the blank of your favorite testing tool. It looks great. We've tested it on Chrome. We launch it. The analyst comes in and says, "Well, wait a minute. Something's going haywire here on Firefox." We go and look at it, and I'm like that, ah, our experience experience is totally messed up in Firefox. Why didn't anyone test it? Why did anyone test it on Safari for mobile? And it's a huge ask and undertaking. So, anyway, I'm not sure where you want to go with browsers, but it's something that's constantly on my mind. Specifically, thinking about optimization, and it's it's a lot to do. But when the investment's done right, you get data you can trust. What scares me is companies are not putting in the investment. They're fooling themselves that they trust the data, and they're making decisions based on. Some very very limited testing where just pulling back the covers a little bit will show. Wait a minute, you made a decision where this data is spoiled. It's
2: it's clearly not what you think it is. Correct. Yeah. Um, that's where the use cases, the test plan, and everything else ahead of time. You know, one of the questions I always ask is, uh, which browsers are we testing this in? Which devices or operating systems or whatever iOS. Um, are we are we looking at Um, that does you know if you have four or five browsers and you know two or three different uh, devices to test it does make it take longer to test but to your point it's the right way to do it and it's it's the way that you catch the issues before they make it into production Um, and also to your point the Firefox issue That you just, the the issue that you just referenced there, you know, I've got my artifacts, you know, it happened because I tested it and I can show you screenshots or Charles Sessions or whatever at that point to show you that it was indeed firing. Um, But there's so many different things that you need to test, the reasons why you need to test different browsers. Um, with all of the changes that are coming to browsers, you know, uh, third-party cookies, and first-party cookies, uh, security issues, and plugs and things like that—that that pe- that, that these browsers are doing—there's um, there's sites out there that that help you understand, um, you know, where we are currently. But I don't think they even know where they're going ultimately. You know, they keep putting out dates and they keep moving the dates and folks in the industry are, you know, left guessing a lot of times. Um, It it really, for that reason, makes it more important that you're testing all of the things in all of the browsers all of the time. Um, If you're not, then you should be.
0: So, so two follow-up questions to that. One, how do you stay up on it? As, as you mentioned, like there's so much influx with the different browsers. It doesn't seem like there's any real uh, consolidation between them as far as what's in play, what's not, what rules are valid versus whatnot. Um, and then the second question is, um, how do we test across all those browsers? And is it is it feasible or, or are you looking, or are you advising clients to look at the data and say, well, let's at least prioritize and look at your top X percentage of traffic by browser, by version,
2: and we'll focus there. What What's kind of your strategy when it comes to that? So in order to keep up on things, it's reading blogs, it's reading, um, you know, some of the key influencers, you know, in the space, um, staying up to speed twitter, linkedin, things like that. Um you know, I've got in my emails, I have some uh some alerts set up for Chrome and Firefox and Edge and you know all the different browsers, iOS and Android and everything else uh in place to be able to try and stay abreast of those, the the cookies as well. Um there's a lot of folks uh you know, thought leaders out there that I follow um, to get that information. Also, you know, the folks that I work with, I ask questions. If, If I'm on the phone and we're talking about some, you know, cookie issue, you know, while we're waiting for five minutes ahead of a meeting or after a meeting, I may pick their brain about it. You know, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of really smart people. So, you know, Look at those folks and ask those folks uh, direct questions around it and, and figure things out. And I've also got a lot of really good friends in the industry. And, uh, you know, don't stay idle. Always always be looking at for uh, the changes that are coming. so one of the questions that i
0: have um, is what advice would you have for organizations or or specifically people within um, a data or a digital data role for validating data outside of web because i think as complex as that is it the complexity ramps up when we start to move outside of that and i think a lot of us have just kind of thrown our hands up and say it's just too hard. So maybe we'll validate in app or we'll validate the data afterwards. So now I'm talking about things like once we move outside of traditional web and we go to even mobile web, I find it very, very difficult to debug and, and validate data streaming on a mobile device. But then we move into mobile apps. Maybe I have an app on an Apple Fire, you know, and how do I how do I validate that? What what? Um, what would you give as far as direction for organizations to start to get smarter around doing data validation outside of just traditional web
2: okay so previously you, you the the last question i, I didn't answer uh, ahead of this i'll i'll kind of fold these two together um, in looking at issues with different browsers and trying to figure things out also with uh, you know non web testing you know iPhones and the like, you can look at if you're using and you should be using, uh, dev suites or, you know, uh, properties, um, you can look at what the testing looks like, um, just as a, a real high level on, is the data coming through, right? Um, you can look at your SDR, which should be fantastic and should be up to date and should tell me all the different things should I'm <laughs> probably <laughs> I'm qualifying all of my statements just just for you know future uh future reference you know we can go back and dig into these later um you know make sure that you've you you know what should be on mobile web right that's that there that a lot of times there's specific things that should be on mobile that that aren't on desktop. And you as the practitioner that have all the context, that's asked all the questions, the whys during the meetings and everything else, um, should have all of that uh, pretty clearly in your mind um, when you're testing so that you can go into the report suite, the property, and you can look for those uh, variables and see that they are indeed being captured. Um, I guess you could probably use uh, observe point or data true or HubScan, one of those tools as well to go in and kind of ferret out some of those uh, those same variables to see if they're not present. So you could you can really kind of dial those things in uh, using the reports or using the uh, those tools to give you uh, a quick and dirty of, whether things are there or not, and then from the SDR and hopefully from either previous use cases and test plans or current ones, if you've got things that are sunsetted or added, um, you'd be able to go in and look for those specific, uh, variables that, uh, that should or should not be there. Um, that's, that, that's really it. I mean, if you've got, uh, you know, if you're testing TVs, smart TVs, and things like that, you know, I've I've actually, uh, I think it's been a while, but I've actually run uh, a uh, an emulator or a simulator on one of those as well, uh, I forgot which, I forgot where I found it, but I found a tool online. Uh, take it with a grain of salt, whether it's gonna work or not. But in the future, you're gonna be able to, uh, you know, proxy those things through Charles Fiddler, one of those tools and, and do the same thing. You mentioned Amazon fire. I'm not familiar with, uh, with what you were, have you tested using Amazon fire before? I haven't. I
0: was just, I was, uh, I was doing a workout on my Amazon fire TV and I'm, I'm like, I imagine there's a lot of data streaming through this. I'm wondering how they're validating it. Right. So yeah, I I'm personally though. So, but I know yeah, it's there uh,
2: like on my, uh, I've got a I've got a smart TV. It's not an Apple TV. I probably should get one, um, but there's no way to uh, to get into the proxy there. Otherwise, you just chain it to Charles and see what you get, right?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm sure
2: there's a way to do it though. Um, but all the uh, the non-web uh, stuff that's out there, um, tablets and phones and and the like, uh, you can easily chain it up through uh, through Charles and see all the traffic that's going through there. And that's actually the right way to do it. There are emulators, so you can use Xcode, which is an actual, uh, you're actually running the device on your Mac. Um, then there's a ton of different uh, Android emul- emulators as well uh, that you can use where you can actually see all the, all the items there, um, the errors and the, the variables and whatnot.
0: I like to imagine you have some kind of a virtual testing lab set up where you have different setups and emulators and OSs and browsers. Like as a, as a data quality person, I imagine that's critical to have all of that organized in some way. How, how do you, what's your setup? So that that is to be able to test across, um, different, um, browsers and OS's and emulators is, is it something you set up unique for each experience or do you have kind of a base setup. This is my testing lab and these are my tools i have available
2: well i've done it a bunch of different ways i've worked with uh companies uh one company that was uh really smart um built their own tool and i I worked with them a little bit on that Uh, they had some offshore resources that actually uh, built a selenium grid uh, setup and a front end on it where they could actually spin up actual sessions so they could replay the sessions across different actual devices, um, that and that was back in 2014. So it's been, it's been a minute for that, but they did it. They did it right, and uh, it was fantastic. It was a fantastic uh, uh, thing to be a part of. Um, uh, but virtual machines, so you can do virtual PCs um, easily running Charles and all of your. Uh, your browser tools that you use and uh, and, and things like that. Um, so virtual PCs. I've had different PCs with different operating systems, um, so I could run you know an older version of IE, for instance. Um, you know different versions of uh, of Chrome, um, and then you can use. I hate to use them, but you can use emulators. So you can emulate on uh, on. Chrome, you can emulate on edge, different browsers, uh, not the right way to do it because you've got the JavaScript running through, you know, it's not the, it's not the native JavaScript engine. Um, it really just depends on how in-depth you need to get with a client and, and speaking with them, you know, the last client I was with, uh, they're setting up their own uh, QA lab to some specifications that I helped them with using. Yeah, I think that I
0: think that would be extremely valuable for every company. I think there's a, a huge value to someone like you coming in and saying, hey, let me help you set up your, your lab, virtual or otherwise. I, I don't know what the current state of things are. And when my only real experience with it, uh, so I started my career out working in IT in the early 2000s, and we had a literal physical lab. Like You would walk down the hall into this room, and it had Macs and PCs and all these different computers with different configurations, and we would literally sit at them and test our software on each of these different computers. I'm sure it's much more virtual now, um, and, and maybe, again, the traditional QA teams have a, a view of how to do that. I, I think we can all say from experience that MarTech teams don't. I think there'd be huge value for someone like Eric coming in saying, hey, let me, set up your, let me set up your virtual lab, at least give you the right setup and tools so you can you can do this the right way.
2: Absolutely. Um, so we worked with browser stack uh, a little bit as well. Um, browser stack using real browsers. Um, uh, there, there's a bunch of different ways to go at it. It really depends on um, how in depth the company wants to go. Um, if they want to test on all the current browsers or if they want to go back a few versions, um, that's when you start getting into, I guess the easiest way would be virtual PCs. Um, so you can just keep a PC that's a, a couple, a couple months back and, and not update it and just maintain that. But yeah, I've been where you were, uh, back in the early two thousands, there was, there was a lab that we set up, at uh, a telecom, uh, company here and, uh. We had all the pcs with all the different uh, uh, operating systems and whatnot with norton ghost <laughs> back in the day where you just you reset it and you'd have a fresh pc uh for uats we did a lot of uats that yeah time. jim jump in
1: no I've, I've just been enjoying listening so uh um i caught myself just kind of going with the flow and not actually preparing any questions but uh but eric there was something we we briefly talked about so like okay let's hold off let's hold off let's not talk anymore about it until we actually talk uh talk for real and i'm the type of person that like analogies i like to talk in analogies but then also analogies help me make like the abstract you know much more tangible and real and one of the things that you you and i talked about like the, the analogy you like use is analytics is the caboose you know you think of the project Whatever you're deploying is a train, analytics is the caboose, and QA is the caboose trailer hitch. So, I mean, like that—that's something. Like, I wrote that down. Like, that is, it, it's a great analogy. And like, what what made you think of that? Like, like, why is that? And what have you seen that really, you know? Um, well, if you're talking about solidifies that for you
2: in general, where analytics is is a piece of that project. Um, unfortunately, we see all the time, that analytics is probably the first thing that gets chopped. If you have to hit a deadline, if there's a drop dead date of August 1st and things get squashed towards the end, um, you know, the first thing to go invariably is, is analytics. Um, it's a backwards way of thinking because as soon as it goes out, somebody wants to know you know how's it how's it going and what are the insights we can gain and all the other things. Well, I don't know. We chopped analytics off the end, right? Um, so, analytics is at the very tail end of things, right? So, hence the caboose. And then the hitch on the back of the caboose would be QA, because QA has always been kind of like we're the janitor. We're we're the we're the guy that comes and cleans things up and and makes sure things are you know are as good as they can possibly be um, but QA for for functionality QA is way ahead of even analytics you know analytics can can take a backseat to functional QA um, most of the time um, So analytics QA has to happen after after the analytics group goes in and does their thing the implementation folks and the dev folks all uh, get their their stuff together QA goes in, and it's a, it's a race at that point. You have to run as fast as you can, find all the things, report all the things, fix all the things, retest all the things. So there are these iterate, iterative loops. And those are the things that as, a, as a, a data integrity person, I have to keep in focus. And that's what I, that's what drives me in the conversations with leadership is, okay, you realize you know, there's two weeks at the end of this process. So let's use July 14th in this hypothetical example where we have a a, uh, release on the first upcoming. Um, If you're going to push that out to where we're going to get it a week ahead of time, I'm going to need to push it out to uh, August 8th to get all of the things done that I need to get done. Um, If you're changing things, uh, within you know new functionality or uh, the project plan changes in some way. Maybe they cut something out, they add something, That will necessarily affect analytics, and that will necessarily affect um, the project plan that I have, the the use cases and the test plan that I have. So the iterative loops at the end, where I'm able to test, devs are able to fix, or implementations able to, you know do whatever. Uh, to, to fix whatever issues that are out there. Um, if, I, if I plan for three iterative loops to get clean data by the end of the cycle, if those get compressed to two or God forbid one or none, which happens, um, the, the messaging needs to be crystal clear to the leadership. There's a risk, you know, there's a huge risk at this point. Um, we're not going to be able to certify all of the things that you want certified because you're not giving us the amount of time, and that that needs to be that needs to be talked about way ahead of July 14th or whatever date we're on. That needed to be talked about in February or March, right? When we're leading up, we're talking about working on the project. It, it needs to be something that is. In scope, uh, with with leadership that they that they they sign off on and they agree to. Um, If not, again, I use this a lot. If not, you're doing it wrong. Sorry, you had a passion. You had a really passionate point from you there.
1: Yeah. So the the follow up I I have to that is, and I, I can pretty confidently say all three of us have been through a situation where either. We, you know, we got the short end of the stick on testing. Raised the concern before launch. But still got the short end of the stick, or raised issues that we found, and one way or another, issues went to production. Um, you know, management, uh, leadership, they want insights immediately after launch. There's issues. They yell and scream, and we say, "Well, we raised it. We raised concerns here, here, and here." Things still went to production. We got the short end of the stick on on testing, um, and it's kind of like you know I've had that conversation multiple times in in, in postmortems. Like, if uh, QA wasn't cut short, if testing wasn't cut short, if the issues I raised four weeks before launch were addressed, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here. Why don't we learn a lesson? Why do we have that conversation over and over again, even though like it hits leadership's radar when that project goes live and there's issues with the data that they want to see? Well,
2: great question. And I, you're preaching to the choir here. Um, I think it's important to have a very good relationship uh, with the leadership and to let them know way ahead of time, you know, in order for this to go smoothly, in order for this to be, successful we need we need buy-in we need we need you to be a hundred percent on board here that should be i mean in the governance discussion um that you're having that you should be you should have a governance by the way um it, that you're having um it needs to the, the buy-in needs to be there that if qa is not done and not done um in accordance with the way that it should, should be done you're not going to have clean data. You're, you're not, well, I should say, you're not guaranteed clean data. Sometimes you can get lucky, you know, uh, I know there's devs out there that think that they never make mistakes and implementation folks that never forget to, you know, turn in a, a proper Nevar on it happens though. Um, not calling any names, but it does happen. Right. And, um, it, it's something that, that has to be talked about. It's something that, that, we should learn from, we don't learn from, but needs to be elevated in the conversation ahead of time. I'll just leave it at that.
0: So let's wrap this up with a two-part question. The first part is, when when thinking about data quality, what's something that you see that lots of organizations aren't doing? And I wanna stay away from using low hanging fruit or quick wins, but what's something relatively low-level of effort around quality that organizations aren't doing, but what would create a huge amount of value when it comes to data quality, that's question one. And then let's wrap it up with question two, what are your thoughts on, or what do you see in
2: the future when it comes to to data quality? Okay, things that uh, companies aren't doing, it's kind of going back to a previous point, they aren't uh, uh, treating QA and data quality as its own uh, practice. Um, you know, last company I worked for, we made uh, quite an impact with the, the clients that we that we had, and we were able to um, really lock them down in terms of uh, long term strategy, which really helps. You know, if you're with a company and you have a lot of context, you're able to be a trusted advisor, a trusted partner, and become part of the part of their team. So over time you can see data quality uh, become become better you can pull them along the maturity curve to the point where they're they're running for themselves and then you can run with them um, that's that's a fantastic feeling and I was able to do it a lot of times uh, setting things up and and kind of walking off into the sunset uh, so to speak uh, you know that that's something that I think we should have more organizations doing. They should just pay more attention uh, to things rather than treating it as an afterthought, as you mentioned first, Jason. And what was your second question? I'm sorry. Can you?
0: What, what do you see about what, what do you see in the future? What does the future hold when it comes to data quality?
2: Yeah, future. Uh, uh, I mentioned it a little bit as well in terms of uh, more automation. I see more automation, um, but done correctly. It needs to be very well thought out. You need to work with different teams. Uh, that's going to take. Um, that's going to take your your data quality and QA folks being having their own practice, um, having a seat at the table, making sure that they uh, they have full context of everything that's going on, and are able to uh, provide some advice to those those other teams um, in terms of. How they can help uh, scale the uh, the um, the amount of work that needs to be done? You know, we're we're just gonna agile's gonna take over. We're gonna have releases every Tuesday and Friday. You know, yeah. it's gonna happen. You know, in the future, it's gonna be so much faster. And the 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 as we've already mentioned, the the browsers are always gonna be a problem. Um, the So we're gonna need to move towards multi-browser testing in an automated way. Um, you know, all the different tools that are out there that, that have gaps there, will need to uh, address those in the future in order for them to be, you know, something that can be part of the overall solution. And also chain those up to the frameworks, as I mentioned before, that, that engineers are already using.
0: Yeah. Awesome stuff, dude. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, really appreciate you joining us. You've shared a ton of valuable knowledge and my, my hope is that everyone listening to this and we have listeners at all different levels of organizations and different backgrounds and different roles. Um, I'm hoping that everyone will take this and use this as an opportunity to have the conversation within their organization about taking Data quality more seriously because we all can, you know, every organization out there, uh, can help the game when it comes to to data quality. I hope this helps uh, spark some conversation. So I, I appreciate you spending the time with us and sharing some extremely valuable insights.
2: Had a great time. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Yep.